When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this message that Pastor Greg is going to uh, share with us today. I pray that you speak boldly through him. Today we ask that you would be here ever present with us and that you would move in the lives of everyone here and those who are joining us online. Lord, we thank you so much for um, what you have done through us and we pray for the many ministries of this church and all the events that we have coming up, including the women's ministry, the clothing uh, exchange, and even Encounter Weekend. We pray that you would move mightily through all of these uh, ministries and that your glory would be proclaimed. We pray for the other churches in our area, especially Rogue Valley Fellowship with uh, Pastor uh, Kenner Gotsman. We pray that the gospel of Christ would be preached boldly today and that the lives would be changed for eternity through the preaching of your word and that salvation would come to those both here and at Rogue Valley Fellowship today. We also pray for those um, on mission all around the world, including Rebecca Ullum um, in, as a teacher in Bolivia, Lord, and Michaela Coddington uh, in Germany, Lord. We pray for both of them as they reach um, their, uh, uh, their students and uh, the people who are they are reaching, Lord. We pray for uh, divine appointments, and we pray that you would work through Michaela and Rebecca um, for, the, for your glory and so that people would know and love uh, Christ through um, the mission work that they are doing. And I just pray today that you would work through us and through Pastor Greg, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you find your Bible, and to uh, turn over to Exodus 14... We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning, slowly making our way through the book of Exodus. This morning, we're not going to quite get through the Red Sea. We're going to come right up against it. Uh, so if you want to pass through the Red Sea, you'll have to be sure to be here uh, with us uh, next week. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Pursuit of Purpose. Pursuit of uh, Purpose. Just thinking about it this morning. It was explaining to my sons last night that it might snow today, the forecast had for snow, and you know what the forecast means in Medford. <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. One of my sons was very excited that it might snow, uh, and the other son was like, whatever. It's like, what, you don't want it to snow? I mean, you can go out and you build a snowman or whatever. He goes, no, snow on any day that's not a school day is, <laughs> like, basically, what's the point? In his mind, the purpose of snow is to cancel school, and school on a Sunday doesn't do a thing for him. Big deal. 
I already have Sunday off. And so today we're going to talk a lot about purpose. Everyone, everywhere, who is alive is pursuing purpose. Everyone is pursuing purpose. Whether you say you're pursuing purpose or not, everyone is in some way seeking to identify what their life is about and how to live according to that purpose. And that purpose is what drives our decisions every moment of every day. And so this morning we're going to look at three different uh, people, so to speak, who are pursuing purpose and the way they do it. We're going to look at God, we're going to look at Pharaoh, and we're going to look at Israel and, uh, in, in this passage. So uh, let's start at the top. Uh, Todd didn't re read this section, but I'm going to read it for you. Uh, Exodus 14, 1 through 4, this is what it says. The Lord said this to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back, uh, make camp in front of uh, a, a place that starts with the letter P, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Where are they encamping? By the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're, going to want, they're wandering around, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Uh, so, pursuit of purpose. God's purpose here is to pursue his glory. God's purpose is to pursue his glory. He says it quite clearly in verse 4 of Exodus 14. I will get what? Glory over Pharaoh. So he has a purpose here. His purpose is to get his glory and is going to do so over Pharaoh. There was a battle a long time ago, 200 years before Christ, 217 years before Christ. It was a guy named Hannibal. And some of us who are a little bit older know not the guy who led the A-team. <laughs> Different Hannibal, but that guy was awesome too. Loved it when a plan came together. There's like three people who've seen this show. Have you, this is the a, you've not seen the A-team? Go back and Netflix it. Um, Hannibal, Carthaginian, and he was battling Rome. And what happens was there was this great battle. It was the battle of uh, the Lake of Tresemine. Tresemine, it's hard to pronounce, I'm not Italian. So what happened was that very large uh, Roman army, a very large Carthaginian army, Hannibal's army, and Hannibal looped around the Roman army and then snuck away alongside the, the lake uh, shore. And his goal was to try and get the Romans to come and attack him so that he could outmaneuver them because he, um, uh, he felt that they had, their army was better equipped. So what he did is he went around and then he did a couple of different things and he really irritated the Roman uh, general because this Roman general was very uh, normally kind of short-tempered and so he got him riled up and so this Roman general pursued Hannibal's army and as he came around onto this great flat space where Hannibal wanted to engage this general the general saw off in the distance all these campfires burning and so he said oh man he is fleeing I see where he's made camp off into the distance and what the Roman general didn't know is Hannibal had sent a bunch of his guys to make campfires as far away as they could so that the Romans will think we're running away. And the Romans had no idea the Carthaginians, that's a hard word to say, they were in the woods hiding, 30,000 of them. And at the precise right, right moment, because Hannibal was one of the most brilliant military tacticians in history, he was able to divide the Roman forces, and he killed or captured 100% of that Roman army. Still today, most military people think it was the largest 
ambush in history. There are many people have ambushed people, but nobody has ambushed an army with 30,000 troops. Where do you hide 30,000 troops? His ambush. So he lured Rome to their defeat. This is what God is doing to Pharaoh. He said, you know what? Let's get Pharaoh to chase you guys out into the wilderness. So God is telling the people of Israel to be wandering around. That's right. Go camp here. Go camp there. Now finally go camp at the sea. And Pharaoh with his spies are watching all of this. He goes, they're wandering about. They're completely lost. And then finally they make camp right by the sea. And Pharaoh knows now they've got nowhere to run. What are they going to do? Swim? Half a million people, a million people swimming with all their gear and sheep across the Red Sea? I don't think so. It's hard to swim. It's really hard to swim with a goat on your head. And so Pharaoh is going to be lured out. And God's purpose here is to bring Pharaoh out so that God can wipe him out and have glory. And this is God's plan, is to defeat Pharaoh in order to have victory and glory over a Pharaoh's military. What I want us to pay attention to here is, Maybe ask it this way. We'll ask it this way. Did God need the people of Israel to wander around the desert and stand by the Red Sea to defeat Pharaoh? What could God do if he wants to defeat Pharaoh? He could sneeze. He could wiggle his left earlobe or left earlobe. He could He didn't need any, He didn't need people of Israel to do this. He could he could wink his left eye and Egypt could be turned into a a sandbox. Well, more of a sandbox than it already was. I mean, God didn't need this plan. So what we immediately discover here is God wants to gain glory over the people of Egypt. God wants to gain glory over Pharaoh, but he wants to do it with his people. He doesn't want to do it on his own. He wants to do it while being with his people. He's called them out of slavery. He's called them into relationship with himself. And now he wants to gain glory over Egypt with his people. He wants them to be a part of his glory. He gets more glory doing this with his people than doing without his people. We might say it this way. God's purpose is to pursue his glory, but his purpose is to pursue his glory in relationship with his people. He doesn't want to do it in isolation. He doesn't want to do it on his own. He wants to pursue his glory in relationship with his people. Look at what Egypt stands for in the lives of the people of Israel. Egypt stands for death. How many people died in Egypt? Many, many, many. Over 400 years, many people died in Egypt. Not many of them died of old age. How many people were enslaved in Egypt? At the end, all of them were enslaved in Egypt. To be in Egypt was to be characterized by being in the land of death, the land of slavery, the land separated from God. And what God is saying, I'm going to draw you out of the land of death and slavery to have relationship with me, and now that relationship with me puts you in a position of being unstoppable. It puts you in a relationship with God that makes you strong, not weak. Now, Pharaoh doesn't see that, does he? What does he see when he sees people of Israel wandering about in the wilderness? He sees weakness, he sees frailty, he sees them as exposed but God's glory is found in drawing his people out of slavery into relationship with him where he gets to have glory over slavery with his people. And we have to understand, if we understand how the Bible is put together, this is not accidental that that sounds like what Jesus did for us. That's not an accident. 
God is telling this story this way on purpose. He is working in history this way on purpose. He is rescuing us out of the slavery to our sin and slavery in our rebellion and slavery to our sin, which has frankly led to our death, for his glory with us. He wants to do that in relationship uh, with us. I might make this observation about God's glory. God's roadmap for glory is to go into the wilderness. Did God create a place where his people had glory with him in Egypt? No, the answer is no. The place of God's glory was to leave the land of slavery and to go where? To the promised land? Not yet. Where do they go? Into the wilderness. So the roadmap for God getting glory for himself with his people over sin is into the wilderness, but that roadmap understandably, is with us. He wants to be with us in the wilderness while he gains glory over slavery and over a rebellion. He wants to have glory over uh, Pharaoh, not in the promised land, but in the wilderness where his people appear to be uh, exposed. Maybe I should put it this way. I don't know if sometimes you get frustrated with God. I know you're not allowed to say that in church but you probably say it at home. And the reason is, why is God frustrating sometimes? And the reason is, is very simple, because we just want a different road. I've got an idea, God. Let's live for your glory on the road that I want. I've got a number of ways that this life ought to be uh, working out. Anybody have a plan for your life? Do you have a plan, kind of how things ought to be going? No? It's going to be a long sermon. Yeah, okay, so if you've got a plan for your life, and as it turns out, I don't know if you've lived like five minutes, you realize the plan for your life and your actual life are sometimes very different. And we've got two options there, it seems like. Either I'm a failure or God's lame. There's a third option. God gains great glory for himself by taking us on a road we would not normally travel that he might have victory over our sin and death and rebellion in our life with him out in the wilderness. But the key there is we are with him. God is pursuing his glory in the lives of his people in the wilderness, but the key is with him we cannot fail. With him we cannot fail. So God pursues his glory. Most important part of that is this. He pursues his glory with us. God wants to have glory for himself in our lives as we experience victory in this life even during uh, the difficult things. All right, next thing. We've read in Proverbs, as it turns out, pride sometimes or oftentimes leads to a fall. You've heard of this proverb? Uh, Pharaoh thinks he is a god. If you know anything about the people of Egypt, Pharaoh believes he is a god. And so what he decides is he is going to seek his own glory too. So look at verses 5 through 9 of Exodus 14. The first, just to compare these uh, points here, God pursues his glory with his people this uh, section, I just would call it this way, Pharaoh pursues his glory without God. Kind of tongue-in-cheek there, because Pharaoh thinks he is a god. Here's what uh, Exodus 14, verse 5 says. When the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants were changed towards the people. And the people there is the people of Israel. They said this, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he, that is Pharaoh, made ready his chariot 
and he took his army with him. Verse 7, he took 600 of his chosen chariots, those are the really good chariot guys, and all the other chariots of Egypt with the officers over all of them. So how many chariots were left in Egypt? The really good chariot guys go, the guys who are still training go, everybody goes. The guy who has a chariot with one wheel, he's going. Everybody's going. There's not a chariot left in Israel, or Egypt. So the, Pharaoh, uh, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. So Pharaoh is going to pursue his own glory. Do you remember everything God has done to Egypt at this point? Darkness, angel of death, hail, storms, boils, gnats, frogs of all things, piles of dead frogs. And now all of a sudden God hardens his heart and Pharaoh thinks he can roll with God. We're going to show you a picture of a guy. There he is. I don't know if you recognize this guy. His name is Jack Haley. He's got a great shirt on. Do you see what his shirt says? Maybe you can't read it. It says, greatest team ever. Anybody guess when this picture was taken? 1996, Chicago Bulls won how many games that year? 72 games. They lost 10 games, but the Bulls notably did never, that whole season, didn't lose uh, two games in a row. So 72 and 10 at the time, until Golden State uh, came along, at the time, that was the most wins of any NBA team. Now, kids, uh, in his hand is what we call a camcorder. <laughs> Nowadays, you're saying, why does he have that giant camera in his hand? Before the smartphone, this is how you uh, took uh, videos. Uh, but uh, that's funny. And then his left hand, of course, is a cigar. The reason is this is after they had just won the NBA championship. So this guy is celebrating like it's 1996 and he plays for the Chicago Bulls. Because he did. Jack Haley. He was actually noted on the Chicago Bulls. He was one of the greatest. He would stand on the sidelines, swirling towels. He was always excited. He was a great cheerleader. Now, remember, the Chicago Bulls at the time were the greatest team that ever lived. Okay, kids, just so you know, still the greatest team? But anyway. I mean, I'm not a Bulls fan, but you just don't beat that team. They had a guy on it named Michael Jordan. Anyway. Um, this guy played in one game that season. He played in the final game of the regular season. He scored five points, but he wasn't in for much. It was basically a way the coach said, okay, you can play. He let him in, and he didn't play at all in the playoffs. So what do you say? What? This guy, maybe he should be happy. He may be celebrating a little bit more than his effort deserves. He scored five points on a team with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. This guy thinks he can roll with this team. This guy didn't play basketball in high school. What did he let her in in high school? badminton I'm not kidding he didn't get a scholarship he went to junior college somebody said you're tall you should play basketball and he's able to weasel himself onto UCLA's team after junior college he should have never been drafted nobody can figure out why the Bulls drafted him he basically what he was really good at at basketball is being six foot ten that's what he was really good at and look at him he's celebrating like he's just he's the greatest thing in sliced bread this is Pharaoh He thinks he can roll. This, I mean, he thinks he's got this stuff. Put the, take the picture down. They won't pay attention. <laughs> Pharaoh gets all of his chariots, all of his, and he's going to roll out and play with God. 
He's got his camcorder and his cigar. I'm the, I'm the best, really. Pharaoh, with all of his glory, doesn't even compare. Pharaoh, though, is going to pursue his glory, and he's going to do it without God. And we're not going to get to the end of the story this morning, but he is going to be embarrassingly defeated. It's not even close. It's silly that he went out there. Pharaoh lettered in badminton, and he was going out to go to war with the God of the universe. How deceived was he? He gets all of his chariot. His heart was heartened. He had forgotten the power of God. Now, we have to understand Egypt's view of gods. Their view of deity was all messed up. They had never understood the reality of God who is. They viewed gods as precocious and short-tempered, and they would lose interest. He sort of anticipated that God might abandon his pet project with Israel and leave at any time. And he didn't really understand the God of the universe. And so Pharaoh is going to pursue his own glory without God, thinking he knew what he was doing. He had no idea how ridiculous he looked. Pharaoh's glory is found in himself. Pharaoh's glory is found in his wealth. Pharaoh's glory is found in his power. Pharaoh's glory is found in the thousands of chariots that are rolling out into the desert with him. Unstoppable. There would not have been a military on planet Earth on their own that could have stopped him. He, and he knew it. And he went out to wage war against God, and he didn't realize how ridiculous he was being. In fact, we might think of it this way. Pharaoh's glory here is merely an expression of his own sin, his own rebellion, his own belief that either God is not that awesome, or he doesn't exist, or I know better than what God does. I, know, I am more powerful than this silly God that Israel is seeming to follow. We can put it this way. If God's roadmap is to gain glory for himself by being with his people in the wilderness, Pharaoh pursuing his glory has a roadmap and it only goes one place. Whatever he wants right now. The pursuit of self-glory always pursues that kind of road. It's what do I want in this moment? In this moment, what is the desires of my heart? What are the appetites that I must try and fill? That's the self-glory of Pharaoh. He's saying, what I want in this moment is Israel back in Egypt, and I don't want this silly God to think he can do whatever he wants, and I will pursue my own self-interests. And we have to understand that Pharaoh pursuing his own interests for his own glory is absolutely the opposite of God pursuing his glory. I might put it this way. You can't pursue your own glory and God's glory at the same time unless you decide that your glory is God's glory. It can't be done. Whenever we're pursuing our interests and our desires and the roadmap is described by merely where do I want to go, it will never lead to God's glory. It will always just lead to our own. And we have a fancy word for that. We call that rebellion. We call that sin. Adam and Eve did it first. I can know about God, and I can know the reality and the truth of good and evil, and there's two ways in the garden. How would you learn about the knowledge of good and evil without eating forbidden fruit? Is there a way to do that? Yeah. Ask God the next time he comes to the garden for a walk. Hey, God, you mentioned that uh, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a, uh, was a bad thing to do. We still want to know about good and evil. Why don't you tell us about it? 
That's one way to do it. But what that requires is that you depend on God for what he's going to give you. Another way to do it is to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then I can get what I want without who? Without God. And we've been doing it ever since. That's all Pharaoh is doing. He's saying, I want glory. There's two ways to do it. Go out and camp with Israel next to God or pursue it on my own. And this is the great sin of mankind. We rebel against God because we want to pursue our own glory without God. Whatever we want in this particular moment. There's another thing we can call this. It's this, self-worship. Self-worship. If what I want matters most, who's God? I am. If what I want matters most and is the most important thing, there's only one way to look at that, and that's to say in this moment, for whatever reason, I have decided I am God because I somehow have figured out what the most important thing in the world is. And God may take exception to that. Pharaoh pursues his glory without God. In fact, pursuing our glory, pursuing our own glory in this way, uh, allows us to be driven and to be motivated by our own passions and desires. And it, frankly, instead of bringing us into relationship with God, it pits us against God. This is why over in the book of James, James says, you know, you're going to, instead of going to this city or that city and making a profit, you ought to say it this way. If God wills it, I will go to this city or that city and make a profit. And what he's saying is, I'm taking my own desires and submitting them to the purposes of God, saying, if God determines that I should have that, it's not my glory, it's actually for his glory and for his uh, purpose. Pursuit of glory. Pharaoh pursues glory without God. And doing so pits him uh, against God. Now, we generally don't like to think of ourselves as being like Pharaoh. But we have to come to terms, because this is what sin is in our life. Whether you're not a believer in Christ or you are a believer in Christ, all sin is the pursuit of my own glory by pursuing my own desires. Now, how often in a given day are we struggling with that? I'll take from your silence, it's a lot. Of course, we're constantly, this is, the, the Bible tells us we don't struggle against flesh and blood. We struggle against uh, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The, the enemy and his forces, along with our own flesh, are constantly trying to drive us to live our lives as though we're Pharaoh, that I know what's best and what ought to be, and what I am most interested in any given moment is what ought to rule uh, the day. When we pursue our life in this way, it invariably is going to leave us without standing next to God. All right, what are the two ones so far? God pursues his own glory where? It's with us. Go ahead and jot that down. It's with you. He wants to be with you. That's awesome, by the way. Uh, Pharaoh pursues his glory without God. Okay, let's look at the last one. People of Israel. Israel pursues their glory in a very interesting way. Let me put it this way. Israel doesn't pursue their glory. Israel pursues their comfort. Todd read it, but let's uh, read just part of it again. Verse 11 of Exodus 14. The, the people of Israel said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the wilderness to die? I mean, it's kind of a funny thing to ask. Were they, were they out of graves? Was there no place to dig a hole in Egypt? I mean, they're being serious. Why, why do we need to die out here? We could die uh, in Egypt. 
Look at what they say here in verse 12 in the wilderness, with God with them. Remember, Moses, we told you, leave us alone. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It would have been better to die under the Egyptians than to die with God. Now, why in the world would they say that? You're dying either way, right? What's the problem? In fact, it seems quicker to die with God because it's just chariots. They're just going to run you over. That's relatively fast. Or you could die in slavery. It might take decades. I mean, if you have to choose one of the two, right? Now, well, think about it this way. I mean, maybe you've never had this happen. If you haven't, it's fine. It will at some point in your life. It's one thing to go through difficult circumstances in our life, maybe because of our own failure, maybe because of our own mistakes, or maybe just because we realize life is hard. And difficult stuff happens, that man, this is lame. It's hard. Wish it wasn't this way. Wish I hadn't have blown that. I'm going to pay the piper now. But when we think God has done something in our lives that's difficult, we pray and pray and pray and ask and ask and ask, and it gets worse. Anybody ever have that happen? Now we're still in a difficult circumstance, and we think God's kind of a jerk. And that's where they are. They're saying, listen, we're going to die either way. We were better off not following this pipe dream of thinking God had something good for us. If we have to die, we'd rather die in Egypt than thinking that God might help us. Now, all of us have been in that place at one time or another, where we would say, I would rather die without hope than having a false hope in God. And that's what Israel is saying. It would have been better just to die in Egypt and if God just would have left us alone. Remember, they weren't doubting God's existence. Why do we know they weren't doubting God's existence? Because he was standing over there, giant pillar of cloud and fire. So they weren't talking about some abstract notion of deity. They're talking about that giant cloud that's standing over there. Now, you see that guy, Moses? We would have preferred to be in Egypt than when this guy, because now he's dragged us out here, and, and the, the chariots are going to run us over. I don't know if you know anything about military, Moses. Clouds don't beat chariots. Chariots run through clouds. You're extraordinarily disappointed with God. This may be hard to believe. I read this article. I had to read it twice. This comes out of the United Kingdom talking about a group of men. And I don't, it was just men. I would say it was both men and women, but it was just men. Guys, I'm sorry. There's some dudes who do this. So these guys travel a lot for business in Europe and Asia. And because they're kind of big mucky mucks in business, they uh, are used to traveling uh, first class or business class on their trips. So these group of guys, they, they interviewed them. It's half a dozen or more. They said when they travel then for personal leisure, they don't want to travel economy because they're so used to traveling first class. We know what this is like, don't we? Here's the thing, though. I said, but I really don't like paying for first class, so I make my wife ride in economy. I know, I got some big eyes going on out here. I'm dead serious, these guys. And, and they're not playing. I said, no, listen, I, I ride in economy. There's no way once you're used to first class, I can ride back there. I said, do you know how cramped the seats are back there? That's what they said. But I don't really want to spring for first class for both me and my wife, so I have her ride in economy. One guy said it this way. Do you know how loud my kids are? Do you think I want to spend the whole flight listening to them? Now, some of us are like, are you serious? Some of you guys are like, man, that is a really good idea. I see you. 
I never, I didn't know that was an option. So what are they pursuing there in that moment over and against their relationship with their family? Their own comfort. What matters in this moment is that I am comfortable. And this is where Israel found themselves. They said, Egypt wasn't great, but it was better than the desert. Egypt wasn't great, but it was better than having chariots chase us down. Egypt wasn't great, but at least had a sense of continuity, and I knew what tomorrow held, and I knew I had a roof over my head and food in the, in the pantry. I was a slave, but I was an alive slave, and I knew what tomorrow was going to look like. And in the moment, they said, if I have to choose between my own personal comfort and relationship with God, I choose comfort. We will take comfort in slavery over discomfort with God any day of the week. And I hate to tell us, this is not just Israel, is it? The pursuit of purpose. Israel pursues their comfort to the exclusion of God. A couple of verses to look. I'm going to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read a fairly large section. I think we have one of the verses of this section up on the uh, screen, or we will uh, in a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in uh, verse 7. This is what God says. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, fountains, springs, flowing out of the valleys and hill, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees, honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and whose hills have copper. You're going to eat and you're going to be full and you're going to bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is verse 11 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. So what does he say? You're going to have a great land then what? Take care. You're going to be comfortable, and then what does he say? Take care. Verse 12, lest when you have eaten, and when you are full, and you have built good houses, and you live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, dollar bills, yo, that's in the Hebrew, then your heart will be lifted up, he says, you will have comfort, you will have ease, you will have all that you need. The next step of that, your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God. You will have comfort, you will have ease. Take care, the normal, natural, automatic, never changes, if we don't step in front of it, response to comfort, ease, and having all we need is to have our heart do what? Be lifted up. Did God really say? You will forget the Lord your God, the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its serpents and scorpions and ground with no water. He brought you water out of a rock. He fed you, he fed you manna. He humbled you so that you might be tested. And that you might do good in the end, he says. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power, my might, my hand have gotten me this great wealth. Verse 18. 
You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power and wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers to this day. Here's the principle here. Comfort makes us forgetful. Comfort is not evil. There's nothing wrong with it. When God brings it, give him a high five. That's awesome. Enjoy it. Eat to your full. Have a, a smile on your face. Enjoy the blessing. Enjoy the greatness. Enjoy all the stuff he has given us. In the back of our mind, though, we must be aware of the normal thing we will do. Comfort makes us forgetful. Full bellies reduce our desire to be made full by the presence of God himself. See, in the wilderness, the people had two choices, be empty or be full of God. In the land of promise, in the land of blessing, they have to choose. Do I want to be full of this life or do I want to be filled with God himself? Comfort makes us forgetful. In comfort, we say, who needs God? And then when the comfort goes away, we say, where is God? And Israel is pursuing their own comfort without God. I just want to be very careful here to make sure you don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we shouldn't be comfortable. Listen, I'm all about it. But we have to be aware of what it does to us. It makes us want to have that instead of God. Okay, back to Exodus chapter 14. Look what Moses says to the people of Israel. They cry out to God and say, uh, why, don't, uh, why didn't you let us die in Egypt? And then Moses tells them this. Verse 13, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, and he's going to work for you uh, today. The Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. They're not good swimmers. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to what? What's it say? Be silent. Yeah, you know what it should say? Shut up. No, I'm serious. Most commentaries, the, the, the thing here, he said, nothing good is coming out of your mouth hole. So the best thing for you to write and do right now is to zip it. Zippy long stockings, the whole thing. Psalm 46.10. I'm just going to read uh, one verse there very, very quickly. Or one verse will be up on the screen. I'll read a couple more. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Shh. God's in the, God's in the house. He's got it. Yeah, but they got chariots. Yeah, he torches those. They got big guns. Yeah, he destroys those. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah, meaning, shh, think about it. Pay attention. Be still. What's the to-do list to get God's victory? Shh. What are the ten steps? He's gone. What do I got to do to get him to... <clears throat> talking too much. He's gone. 
Some of us sometimes don't know how to pray. One of the best ways to pray is just sit there. Say, God, you're God, I'm not. Do what you got to do. Our job is to have faith that says, I will rest in him. I know him. I've read about him in his Bible. I've seen him work in my life. I know him so well. I know he's got this. I know he's got this. Good news is God has it. Bad news is he's in the wilderness. Romans 8, 18 says this. I consider, I, I consider, I don't even know what that word is. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The creation itself waits for eager longing for the re- revealing of the sons of God. He's saying this. I consider that, consider that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the land we're going to. We don't like this verse. Now, we do like this verse because we like the idea that heaven is awesome because it is. It's going to be great. What we don't like about this verse is say, God, I've got an idea. Just spitball in here. Let's make heaven awesome and now this life awesome too. And God says, the roadmap to my glory is not the promised land. The roadmap to my glory is in the wilderness because you will find me most faithful in the suffering. And God is going to take us through the land of the wilderness together with him, and we will attach our hopes not to this place, but to that, that place. We are, be, we are still before God trusting him, not because we anticipate that he is going to make us comfortable, but precisely because we're not. And we're trying to say in our hearts and our minds, but God, I'm with you, and so that's enough. If being uncomfortable means I am with you, then I will take discomfort. If being, un- if being with you means the wilderness, then I take the wilderness. If, if being with you means hunger, then I'll take the hunger. If being with you means being alone, then I'll be alone. If being with you means being small and humiliated, then I'll be small and humiliated. Do you know he did this really, really well? Jesus. Did he go in the wilderness at all? 40 days, 40 nights. What did he eat? Nothing. What did he drink? Nothing. What did the Bible tell us about him when he got to the end of the 40 days and 40 nights? Captain Obvious wrote this in the Bible. What's it say? He was hungry. You think? Why does he tell us that, though? Because he wasn't different than us. What Jesus was showing us is what we're supposed to do in the wilderness. Is say, I want God more than the other thing. So then what did the devil come and present him with? How about bread? You want some bread? And Jesus goes, no, I'm good. I'll take God in hunger. Hey, Jesus, how about answered prayer? You know God will abandon one will, will, will never abandon you, right? So why don't we put God to the test and pray and see if he'll answer, and if he doesn't answer, you'll be mad at him. And Jesus says, no, I don't think so. I'll take God in the wilderness even over throwing myself off a cliff hoping angels grab me. Well, I've got an idea, Jesus. How about I give you all the power of the whole world? You never have to trust in God again because you will have more power than Pharaoh. And what does Jesus say? Take a hike. Now, interestingly, do you know Jesus quoted a couple of verses there? Do you remember what he quoted from? Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8, the chapter we were just in. Because Jesus understood it was better to be with God in the wilderness, hungry, humiliated, empty, than to be anywhere else. And all he is doing is calling us and saying, come with me, I'll be with you in the wilderness too. And when you are lame at being in the wilderness, don't worry about it. I stand in as your representative, having gone through the wilderness for you perfectly. 
I will give you my righteousness when you're not even very good at going through the wilderness. Be still. Rest in God, but know that does not mean we're going to necessarily be comfortable. Okay, last verse, Ephesians 3, 10, and then we're going to summarize this. Verse Ephesians 3, uh, 9 and 10, I'll read. It says this, God is going to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's saying this, through the people of God, God intends now to make known to the enemies of God in the spiritual places, Satan and his cronies, the glory of God and the manifold wisdom of God's purposes made known in his people, the body of Christ. Say, well, how does that happen? God with us, us with one another, and us deciding together to be with God come, come hell or high water, that reveals the glory of God to the forces of evil in heavenly places. When a body of believers finally says, we just need God with us together, the gates of hell cannot stand against it, to quote scripture. There is glory in victory over evil by standing with God even in the wilderness and in the emptiness and in the difficulty. Standing with the people of God together, standing with God, saying God is enough for us. Pursuit of purpose. Israel pursues comfort without God. Jesus calls us to something different as the body of Christ. Calls us into the wilderness to abandon our pursuit of ourselves, our own comfort, and instead pursue life with God, the exact opposite of what Adam and Eve did. And when we blow it, we can say, his grace is enough. Okay, a couple of things, we're going to close with this. Here's basically the question I would have us ask ourselves after looking at how Israel responded to their difficulties in the wilderness. God wants life with us, and the question I think each of us have to ask ourselves in our own heart is this. Do we want life with him? Now, I know it's church, so we're kind of our default. Of course I want life with him. But what if you didn't know where he was going to go? What if the roadmap to being with him is not disclosed to you and the road he's going to take you on is going to be really, really difficult? And that's exactly what Israel did. And so the question we have, God wants to be with us, but he's saying, I want you to be with me out in the wilderness before the promised land comes. Do we want to be with him regardless of where that road might take us? God's glory is found in this, and it's a comfort, and it should bring us joy. God finds his glory in being with us. You know, he has other options. He is not codependent, like he falls apart if we don't accept him. He's, he doesn't need us. He just wants us, and he wants us to desire to be with him. So God's glory is found with us, having victory over Satan, even in the, uh, the wilderness. He wants relationship with us, and he gives us glory by pulling us out of slavery through the work of Jesus. So Jesus goes to the cross and delivers us from sin and from rebellion and brings us into relationship with him, and then we're walking with him in a relationship with him, and our life falls apart. And we say, well, God, I thought this Jesus thing paid off. I saw the guy on TV. He said, if I believed in Jesus and sent him 100 bucks, my life would be fantastic. doesn't work that way 
God's glory is found with us. Now we ought to think about our own sin for just a minute. I know that's not enough time, but that's all we have. Here's the fact. We want our own glory with God. If you read, if you read Exodus 14 and you look at Pharaoh as the bad guy, we've got to be careful because we're that guy. Ever since Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit, we became Pharaoh pursuing our own glory, meaning I want what I want, and I want it, most importantly, without God around. Because that guy is a killjoy. We want our glory, and we want our glory without God, and so often our day-in and day-out life, even walking with Christ, our desires, our passions, our appetites... Exclude God. We fail to realize we miss the greatest thing. God wants to be with us, and we pursue our own glory in an effort to cut him out of our life. Second thing our sin leads us down is this, is basically a lot of times our life is primarily purposed around avoiding suffering. Avoiding suffering. So our roadmap becomes how do I get through life and avoid suffering and maximize enjoyment? How do I work my way through life that capitalizes on the joys and minimizes the sorrows? How do I make my way through life that is as easy and comfortable and pr- as possible? The problem is when you read the story of God's redemptive purposes from cover to cover in the Bible, God is found where? In the wilderness. And think about your own Christian life, and maybe you would answer this differently than most of us. If you think about those times in your life when your spiritual maturity, your spiritual growth went up by leaps and bounds, I bet, I'm willing to bet that it was during times of great difficulty. Wasn't it? I Very, very few times have I heard somebody say, you know, the, the time I really grew in the Lord is when I had everything I ever wanted. I mean, that could happen, I suppose. I'm not saying it, it couldn't. But what the problem is, when we too closely listen to our passions for avoiding suffering, what we've mistakenly done is inadvertently avoided God. What we ought to do is pursue God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength, and he'll be our comfort even in great trials. Final question, we're going to close with this. In our life, whatever comes, good times, bad times, going to be a bit of both, my guess would be, do I want God enough? Do I desire a relationship with God enough that I will go wherever he leads? Now understand, it's a, it's a question that's in, intended to prompt our thinking. I'm very well aware the Bible tells us God will never leave us nor forsake us. That's not my point. The question is, in my heart, when the Bible calls us to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, will that be my desire regardless of what the roadmap to his glory looks like? whether it be loss, whether it be suffering, whether it be grief, will I pursue God? Will you join me as we pray? God, we thank you for your grace. Your patience with us, God, you know very well that much of our lives have been spent pursuing our own interests, our own desires, our own goals. You know very well the idolatry and false worship of our heart. We worship our pleasures. We worship our passions, our, 
Our minds are filled with greed and envy and all kinds of stuff. And you continually, over and over again, by the grace of your word, say, come back to me. Set aside the sin which so easily besets you and run with patience the race that is laid before you. You over and over again, with great patience and loving kindness and long-suffering, remind us again and again and again the things we desire cannot bear the weight of our soul. The only thing that can satisfy the heart that you have given us is relationship with you. And God, you know in our brokenness we don't see that very clearly. You know in our rebellion we don't see that very clearly. God, would you remind us again by the goodness of your word how great it is to have a relationship with you and you alone. God, would you remind us again that even in the wilderness when everything has gone wrong, if we find ourselves in your company, we're in the best place to be. God, would you forgive us for pursuing our own desires above all other things? Would you forgive us, God, for pursuing our own glory and our own purpose above you? Would you forgive us, God, that in times of great difficulty, we grow bitter and resentful towards you? God, would you forgive us during times of great comfort and plenty and joy, we ascribe to ourselves the glory for achieving those things, and we so quickly forget that you're the one who provided it. God, would you be at work on our hearts that we would root our hope in you and you alone. And I pray, God, that by the power of Christ, you might fill us with your spirit that we would walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.